Hi, everyone. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I am your host, Al D, and the author of MBA Insider. This podcast is for career-driven professionals looking for advice on how to grow their careers by leveraging the skills, experiences, and knowledge gained from an MBA degree. In each episode, I'll give you a look into the business school experience, along with practical tips, career advice, and real-life stories to help professionals grow their careers. So in today's episode of the MBA Insider Podcast, I'm delighted because I have Tristan Francis uh, with me. And Tristan is a uh, MBA graduate from Harvard Business School. Um, he currently lives in Singapore, where he's um, joining me from today. And I'm excited today because Tristan was featured in MBA Insider, and he's going to talk a little bit about his experience um, in HBS. And he had such a phenomenal time. I think it's really worth sharing with a larger audience in terms of some of the things he did in business school to make the most of his experience and and really get out of it what he wanted to. So um, Tristan, thank you for joining me today. And I guess maybe just to kick off, uh, before I get too deep into your HBS experience, I always like to start off with a little icebreaker. So I guess maybe just to start, you know, when you were a kid, you know, growing up, you know, who, who was your favorite athlete or who did you really like look up to or admire? Yeah, my uh, I was a big, uh, big basketball fan when I was growing up, and definitely the person that I looked up to and admired uh, was Allen Iverson, uh, in particular because I was never necessarily, I knew I wasn't going to be seven feet tall, I knew I wasn't going to be the big person, but I uh, just really loved his willingness and his confidence. I remember him kind of like charging into the paint full speed at, at Shaq. And I just thought, here's this little guy that's willing to take on anybody. Um, and so I, I really looked up to and admired uh, Allen Iverson. I love that one. Uh, I, I grew up playing basketball as well. And two things. Number one, I had a pair of the answer fours, the red, like with the red <laughs> ones. I, those were some of my favorite, my favorite basketball shoes I ever wore. And like when I was in middle school, my team's colors were red and blue. So I loved wearing the answer fours. Definitely one okay. of my favorite shoes. And then the other I thing I was just going to say is... Uh, Practice? <laughs> we talking about yeah. practice? <laughs> That's why I, I kind of laughed a little bit when you're like, who did you look up to? I'm like, oh, okay, well, this isn't necessarily, <laughs> isn't necessarily the, the, the poster child of, of positivity, but uh, he definitely had a lot of courage. He did, and his cross, one of the best crossovers in the game. Um, and if yeah. you're wondering what we're talking about, just Google Allen Iverson uh, press conference and you'll see all you need to see. But let's, uh, let's jump in, uh, Tristan, I guess maybe just to start, uh, to just give us a little bit of background about yourself, um, you know, who you are, where you grew up, all of those fun things to just uh, tell us more about who you are. Yeah, so I grew up in Jamaica, Queens. I moved around a lot growing up, so Massachusetts to Jersey, Virginia, D.C., Philly for college, uh, so bounced around a lot. Ultimately, I ended up uh, going to Penn for college, studied finance, legal studies, and business ethics while I was there. Uh, first generation college student. So when I arrived uh, in college, I had no idea what I wanted to do. Decided to try a little bit of everything. Did internships with Google, Goldman, and Morgan Stanley. Ultimately decided to uh, pursue banking and pursue Morgan Stanley. Thought it was going to be an environment where I would learn a lot and also uh, just as a kind of first generation college student, I wanted to get my life off in a good kind of financial footing and felt like banking would allow me to do some of that. I started out in investment banking covering consumer retail companies and then moved into 
a sales and trading role, uh, which was mainly relationship management, focused on covering our largest uh, hedge fund and asset management accounts. And then I moved into a strategy role focused on increasing business with Asian, Black, and Hispanic clients, uh, where I worked with uh, a woman who has been sort of my kind of uh, professional inspiration in many ways. Her name is Carla Harris. She graduated from HBS in 1987 um, and has done a, a bunch of remarkable things, but I had the opportunity to kind of work directly for her through this role where we were trying to increase business with Asian, Black, and Hispanic clients. It was a new business that Morgan Stanley was launching at the time. Um, so I worked with her on that for about two and a half years and then ended up going and doing a brief stint within HR and talent management. Uh, focused on how do we move our top performing analysts and associates around the firm at Morgan Stanley. Uh, then got into business school, uh, did a summer internship working for an education company in China. Uh, education is something that I'm really passionate about and didn't feel like I got to do as much of it as I would have wanted to do at Morgan Stanley. So used the, the time before actually going to business school to explore, explore that passion of mine. Uh, and then ultimately uh, started business school, I guess that would have been like August 2017. Um, and then uh, had, had two great years from there, but excited to chat about that more. Yeah, that's great. And thank you for giving us uh, your background. So as you think back to, uh, you know, it sounds like you had a positive experience at Morgan Stanley in terms of you talked about how you had a great mentor, as well as you got a pretty good diverse amount of roles in the times that you were there. I'm just curious, um, why did you choose to go to business school in the first place? Yeah, so business school, I decided that I wanted to go to business school. It was actually the summer after my freshman year of uh, college. It was during my, I was interning at Google at the time. And I remember that when I would hear from senior people, I noticed a trend in terms of their background. And, and most of the people who I looked up to at Google, they either had an MBA uh, or at some point and or at some point had done banking or consulting. So in my mind, I kind of had this idea that I know I eventually want to go and get my MBA and I either want to do banking or consulting. Now, of course, fast forward, I ended up deciding to do both of those. Um, but I think that when I think about an MBA and what I realized kind of back when I was in college, I think of the grand kind of arc of my life and let's say that after college i work for like 40 years uh which uh i think is 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 a fair estimate but when i think about that and i can either work for 40 years or i can work for 38 years and take two years of, of business school there's kind of no scenario where i don't feel like that 38 and two is a better, more well-rounded life and outcome than the 40 and zero. And I have always been somebody that's really appreciated reflection and introspection. Uh, and I think that that's at the core of what an MBA program is. It's two years to really hit pause, evaluate the life experiences that you've had up until this point, and then decide what you wanna do moving forward. So I think that regardless of how much I absolutely loved what I was doing. Um, I, I think that I would have wanted to go to business school just because I think without that pressing pause and really reflecting on my life, I wouldn't have been certain of what I wanted to do. So that that's part of it. The other part of it is 
I do, I did love the time at Morgan Stanley from the perspective of, I, I really love the company and I really love the people. But in terms of the financial services industry, that's not where I want to spend my career. And I was pretty, you know, I was pretty certain of that even kind of before going into Morgan Stanley. I obviously went into it with an open mind thinking, let me see how this experience goes. But based on the experience, I very quickly knew that it, this wasn't, that financial services wasn't going to be a lifelong thing for me. I think I always think about what's the end product that you're delivering. And, you know, for me and, and, and at Morgan Stanley, the end product I was delivering was like either financial advice to uh, corporate, if you're talking about the institutional and the banking side, or financial advice to an individual, if you're talking about a, you know, the wealth management side, but n none of those things really inspired me in, in the same way that I'm really passionate about coaching, talent management, people development, um, those topics really inspire me. So I knew as well that business school would be an opportunity for me to start to pivot my trajectory a little bit more towards these things that I'm very passionate and inspired by. I think that's great. And the thing that, one of the things that you said that stuck out to me and something i felt the same way as well. And I, I know other people have said this too, is just what you said around the chance for two years to pause and reflect. And I really like the analogy of 40, you know, or 38 and two. I think that's a really good way to, um, to, to kind of think about it and really actually thinking about it over or over the long term kind of arc of your career. Um, so one of the other things I wanted to talk about a little bit, because I know it's something that, uh, for my you know conversations with you, something that was a really helpful resource to you and something I, I know you're a part of um, is MLT. Can you talk a little bit more about MLT and the role that kind of played in terms of you know once you kind of figured out that it um, going to business school was something you were interested in, the role that uh, they played in helping facilitate you in terms of getting to to school. Yep. Uh, so I love MLT. It stands for Management Leadership for Tomorrow. For those who aren't familiar with it, it's a nonprofit organization that helps uh, underrepresented minorities both land uh, corporate opportunities, but then also uh, they have a separate program that helps them get into top business schools um, and so forth. And what the program does is it matches you, and this is specifically their MLT MBA prep program. It matches you with a career coach who sticks with you the 18 months before you're actually applying to business school. And it puts you in this cohort of people who are all very focused on positioning themselves for business school. They're all going through, many of them are going through the GMAT together. Some people obviously enter the program, kind of have it wrapped that up. Um, but you have this coach to guide you along the way. I'd say uh, a couple of the biggest things that I got from the program, uh, the number one thing I got from the program is just inspiration. Honestly, when I think about the people who are in the pro, uh, program is some of the most impressive people I've had to my right and to my left. And there's just something to be said that when you put yourself in amongst that group of people, it kind of inspires you to want to accomplish great things, both in terms of success with the MBA application pro process, but also the benefits of MLT aren't just about the 18 months leading up to the program or your two years of business school. It's one of those organizations that you participate in it and then you're active with it for a lifetime. And for me, I think one of the huge benefits is just the inspiration um, that you get from being around people that are doing some pretty incredible things. Um, and so that that's part of it. The second thing I'd say that I really get from uh, MLT is a very 
thoughtful process of approaching which schools you want to apply to. So MLT, the coaches really force you to consider all schools. They really force you to consider what it is about that school that you're interested in. Um, and then to kind of connect those two dots and then to uh, research and really, really understand the program before applying to it, which is tremendously beneficial because I think that before applying to schools, it's kind of like before applying to a job, you kind of have a rough sense of what the culture is, but you, you know, it, it's really difficult to get a full feel for it just from like reading a website and things like that. But MLT gives you coaches who will push you to dig deeper. And then it also gives you an, a, an alumni network of people who have all gone to this school. So you can set up conversations with people who are going to have extremely candid conversations with you, uh, which can sometimes be rare and hard to find. So I'd say that the inspiration from the peers, the methodology around applying real rigor in terms of figuring out uh, what school is a good fit for you and why and then the alumni network and database and contacts who will be really candid with you to help you get that information. I'd say were the big things I got out of the program, but I absolutely definitely love the program. Sure. Great. Yeah. And I think MLT is a great example of a phenomenal program that really is along the journey with students as they go through that process of applying to business school and certainly when they're in it too. And there's other great organizations out there that do very similar things like the Forte Foundation and Consortium, and they all are a little different in some ways, but um, I think the main message I always have to people is that whether um, when you're applying to business school, this, this isn't something where you have to be alone. There's people that have gone before you and there's resources that are out there. So it's really important to, um, to check those out. Okay, so let's, let's pivot a bit. Let's talk about uh, your HBS experience a little bit. So you get to HBS, you know, you get in there and you get, you know, get to campus, you kind of go through the first couple months. Talk to me a little bit about, um, you know, what surprised you or what, what did, what was something unexpected that kind of came up, um, at least, uh, at least in that first kind of couple months when you you were in school? Yeah. So, um, I'd say the biggest, uh, surprise that I had personally was just the amount of warmth and care and support at the school. I'd say that those aren't necessarily words that are commonly associated with HBS, um, I think that it is externally seen as, you know, this place with a bunch of super ambitious people and it can be a little bit like rough elbows and cold in terms of the, the culture and the environment. But, but what I experienced could not have been further from that. It was actually uh, the exact opposite of that. And I actually think that the one anecdote which always kind of resonates with me the most is I, something a lot of HBS students do, or they'll have their family or their friends come and visit a class. Uh, and so I had my mom come and visit a class. And at first, my mom didn't want to come to a class. Um, she, you know, to picture my mom, she, uh, you know, she always wears tie-dye t-shirts. She's a big, like, Bernie Sanders uh, supporter and fan. So uh, picture Bernie Sanders in an, in an HBS classroom. Um, and my mom did not want to go, but, you know, obviously I was like, mom, can you please just like, come to a class? And she, you know, after a while she was like, okay, sure. I'll come to a class. And, uh, I remember she ended up coming to the class and then after the first class, she was like, oh my God, your classmates, they're so nice. I, I love them. Like, and she's like, and the professors are so great and the conversations are so interesting. And she's like, can I come to, can I come to more classes? 
she ended up coming to a week of classes um, and pretty much uh, setting a record. And it became like a little bit of a joke within uh, my section at HBS. But, you know, she to this day, when I'm like talking with my my section mates at HBS, they you know, we'll be like, hey, how's your mom doing? And like, when I'm, when I'm talking to my mom, she might be like, oh, hey, how's so-and-so doing? And so I just think the amount of uh, warmth in the community, it, it can't be understated. And honestly, there's so many examples that I could provide of moments during that two-year period where I was going through um, a dip, like difficult times. And the amount of uh, care and support um, that I felt during these difficult times, uh, it, it was tremendous. I mean, I know that academically, uh, I struggled a little bit with the case method, especially because I, I'm dyslexic. And, and I think that that leads to me finding comfort and taking a little bit more time up front to kind of process and digest information before uh, raising it in, in a case discussion. And uh, that in a case discussion, you have to be comfortable just kind of putting your idea out there before it's fully baked. And, and I'm somebody who likes to fully bake it. That's kind of how I made my way through academics and, and kind of overcoming this learning disability. So it was really difficult, but I remember going and talking to all of my professors and every single one of them came up with a diff different technique that was like tailored to me and really helpful. I remember uh, my operations professor, Willie Shi he was basically like if you want when i like when you're in the classroom and i ask a question just raise your hand and he was like if you want you can just say to me like before you start speaking just say like can you repeat the question and then he was like i'll you know i'll go on a a one minute long tangent and you know it'll buy you some time to prepare so you don't have to worry so much you can just raise your hand more freely i actually never even took him up on that offer, but something about just having that offer on the table, um, it allowed me to kind of just have the, the confidence to like raise my hand. And, and then I realized that it was more of like a psychological thing, a psychological barrier. And I didn't actually need that extra time, that extra moment to prepare my thoughts. I could do it right away and it was perfectly fine. Um, and so, you know, that's another example of like, the care that and support that the the community provided um you know during my second year i had a a, a good friend of mine was killed by a drunk driver and it was a very difficult period uh for me um and this is again a period where like my professors my peers people really rallied behind me so i got to kind of see the warmth and care and support of the hbs community um and it, it's the most it's 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 the most warm and caring and, and supportive environment that i've been a part of and so i'd say that was a bit of a surprise and, and and there's a really big disconnect between what people perceive to be the community and what it actually is um and so i'd say that's probably what my biggest surprise was and i gave three examples but i could have very easily given a hundred from my time there no, I think those are I think those are great examples, and I'm glad you kind of shared some of those anecdotes and stories. I appreciate it, and I'd say a couple of things. I think number one, um, and this is true from my experience too. I I had a deep appreciation for a lot of the professors uh, that I went um, at UNC that I um, that I went when I went to school. Just the amount um, the amount of care and thoughtfulness that they put into um, 
you know, for uh, wanting to make it a good experience for students so that they could learn. Um, and it's warming to hear that uh, your professor was willing to kind of do the same kind of thing. Um, I think that's really great. And I'm really glad I got the chance to really get to know some of those professors. I think they're such a, such a great asset um, to the community. Um, and then the other thing, uh, no, I, I mean, I totally believe, look, like, what, there's 900, 950 students in class at HBS. There's plenty of good people that, you know, law of numbers, like there's going to be great people. And so uh, it's kind of unfair sometimes that the uh, personas of schools become bigger than they are, than they are, than they need to be. Um, because yeah. uh, no. And uh, so I think that's, I think that's great. Um, so one of the things I wanted to talk about, cause I, I thought it was really awesome and um, was uh, in MBA insider in the book. One of the things you write about or uh, had you write about was about a program that you started um, during your first year um, called eat and engage. Um, can you talk a little bit more about what this was and, and what, prompted you to go about building this and then eventually really scaling it out through the rest of the HBS community? Yeah, so uh, I guess to talk about the evolution of it, um, after I graduated from college, I started doing these workshop series in New York that was called uh, Navigating Corporate America and then also Building the Life That You Want. And basically what it was, was imagine a TED Talk, but rather than spreading an idea, you're sharing your life story in a very vulnerable and succinct way uh, to be able to show college students and young professionals that there's not one path and there's a lot of different paths. So to try and give com confidence and comfort in people to kind of be themselves, that's the idea of it all through the notion of storytelling. After I got into HBS, I decided to kind of go on the HBS class cards and the Facebook and basically send everybody in New York pretty much uh, a message saying, hey, you know, I've been doing these events for the past few years in, in New York. I'm always looking for interesting speakers because the events are usually like three to four people will speak and share their story in 10 to 15 minutes. And then there's some chatting that happens afterwards. Um, so I, after being admitted into HBS, I, I, uh, I ended up reaching out to a lot of people in the New York City area. Fast forward. I actually had about uh, about 50 of my incoming HBS classmates in the New York area spoke at one of these events. And uh, what I realized is the classmates who actually spoke at one of these events, I really got to know them in a very meaningful way. And I got to know them in a much better way than if we had like gone to a happy hour. There's something about if you're standing in front of a room full of college students or young professionals and you're sharing your story, um, you see that person in a different light, you understand that person's values, you understand kind of, you know, what it is that's important to them in a way that will allow you to connect with them on a much deeper level than, you know, I think that if it's just a happy hour, sometimes the conversations can unfortunately stay a little bit surface level. Um, so I ended up meeting some really good friends uh, through this program, even before starting at HBS, including uh, one person, Matt Pilch, who ended up uh, speaking at one of these events, didn't know him before. We ended up deciding to room together on the back of one of these events, um, li you know, lived together for both years at HBS. Uh, and he very much shares a similar passion for me in terms of the power of storytelling. So I remember, uh, I remember we were grabbing dinner in New York uh, one day, and it's probably April or May before starting. At, at HBS and we were talking about 
you know, how cool it was to, to do this event together and to hear kind of the stories of our classmates and how can we keep it going. Um, and then from that, it evolved into like, you know, when we get to campus, let's kind of, let's figure out a way to keep this in essence going. Um, and then what we ended up deciding to do in our first year uh, as a way of, you know, bottling that, that kind of closeness that we were able to get to that event was we would invite people over for dinner. And then at the beginning of the dinner, we would start the dinner by having people read their, if they wanted to, uh, read the personal statement that they wrote to get into HBS. Um, and these are very personal, you know, documents um, for both him and for, for me, they weren't, they weren't light subjects. And it's kind of what we found is that uh, at first we thought people might think we're, we're kind of crazy for proposing this idea because in some cases you're meeting all these people for the first time, but uh, there was a lot of interest and excitement from classmates in terms of having these conversations. Um, and uh, we ended up in our first year having about, a, you know, over the course of that first year, over a hundred of our classmates actually came to one of these um, dinners and, and uh, it was just a fantastic way to get to, to get to know people. Um, and then after that, in, in the second year, so after I became uh, co-president for our class and my roommate Matt was also on the committee. Uh, so after we became co-president, decided, okay, how can we scale this so that it's not just, you know, the people who happen to know Matt and myself who are, who are benefiting from these conversations. So how can we uh, scale this? And then um, we ended up, uh, you know, one of the nice things about student government is there were a couple of other students who were really passionate about the idea and, and were able to then uh, really take it to the next uh, level. So I had two classmates, Grace and Meg, who really were able to take this idea that was just two people kind of doing it in their home and were able to scale it so that it was something that was happening at HBS, you know, every single night pretty much, or every single weeknight at least, pretty much. Um, and then they were able to also add themes around it so that you could better attract people around certain conversations that they wanted to have. Um, and so, and this is something that has continued on, so, you know, continues to happen to this day. Um, and, you know, definitely grateful to Meg and Grace for kind of taking this initiative to the next level. But it, it, the premise of it is all around to really get to know somebody, you need to share your personal story with them, hear their personal story, and connect around values and things that really matter as opposed to kind of breaking away from the conversations which are on the surface, such as, you know, what did you do before business school? What did you do after business school? Like, you know, what classes are you taking? You, you really want to dive a little bit deeper than that to kind of build these bonds during business school. And I think this program was a way for us to be able to help facilitate those conversations on campus. Yeah, I think that's a great program. And I, I too appreciate and value storytelling. So I love that you were able to bring that to life with so many of your classmates. And I think what it speaks to, and particularly, you know, right now in a time where, um, I mean, with everything going on in the world and just how, um, how physically we are have to distance from each other, the ability to connect with other people is just proving to be really, really critical to us and something that people want. And what I love about what you were able to do with that program is to really facilitate those connections um, by like what you said, by being able to create space to talk about 
you know, the values and the things that are important to you. And to, um, when you do that, that encourages others to lean into that as well. And so I love how you were able to kind of facilitate that um, for your classmates and then to certainly scale, scale it out throughout all of HBS, which I think, um, I think is really great. And one of the, you know, the, everyone always talks about how, I mean, if you talk to people who graduate from business school, if you ask them, oh, like what, what's a great aspect of it? They always say, obviously, your classmates or the people you meet. And I think that like what people have to realize is that, you know, it's not just there, like it takes effort and takes work. But when you have programs like Eat and Engage, I think they do a, such a great job of uh, facilitating that for people. Because I think for some people like you and me, that comes very naturally, um, but it doesn't come like that for everyone. So the fact you were able to bring that for all of your classmates is, is really great. And I think on that notion of, um, uh, you know, making space to build relationships, what were some of the other ways you went about doing that, you know, at HBS to really kind of get to know your classmates or to kind of build those strong bonds? Yeah. So I'll actually just, just build on, um, one thing you mentioned, which was for some people, this comes easily for other people. It doesn't come easily. And actually what I would say that is for myself that I actually put myself in the, it does not come easily category because I am introverted. I am, uh, shy, but to a decreasing extent as time has gone on, but certainly, um, have kind of grappled with that over years as well. But this is very much something that I've kind of forced myself to do. Um, in fact, like, and people sometimes look at my resume and experiences and say, okay, well, you know, if you're introverted, how could you have decided to like run for student body co-president? These two things don't compute. Um, or why do you do so much public speaking if you're introverted? Those two things like don't compute. Um, but in my head, actually, I, I, I mean, introversion is obviously a spectrum, but I, I see it as the exact opposite. Like one of the biggest reasons that I decided to run for co-president of, of my class was because I knew that it was not easy for me to meet people. Um, so for me, being the president of our, the co-president of our class was a forcing mechanism. It guaranteed that I was going to meet people. Um, and I needed that because I, I, without that, I don't, I don't know that I would have uh, been able to meet as many people. And that was a big part of what I wanted to get out of the MBA program. So that's one thing. And then when it comes to like public speaking in these events that I do, similarly, I, I hate the feeling of walking into a large event. And there's, there's very few feelings that I hate more than walking up to somebody and approaching them um, and introducing myself if I don't know them. And so what I love about public speaking is you stand up, you have a podium or a mic or whatever in front of the, the room and you share whatever is important to you. And then for the rest of the night, you don't have to approach anybody else. Uh, assuming you did an okay job with the speech, um, people will approach you and they'll say, hey, you know, what you said resonated or, or X, Y, and Z. And so um, it's, actually, it's actually because I'm introverted that I sought out these roles and, and, and for, forums and spaces that are a forcing mechanism for me to still be able to accomplish the things that I know that are important to me, but don't come naturally to me. Um, so I, I'd say that that was part of it. And then to the question of how I met classmates, um, uh, the big way that I was meeting classmates was through student government. And I think that a really great way to get to know somebody is to work on something with them, but work on something that with them that they are passionate about, as opposed to working on something that you're passionate about. Obviously, the intersection of the two is the best, but um, 
if you can figure out what somebody really cares about and then try and figure out a way to help that person on that journey, uh, it's going to lead to this a bond with them very naturally. And I think that student government, the nice thing is it's so easy to do that. And basically the way that uh, my co-president, Sana and I, the way that we approached our board and building our team was we approached every single member with the, the same conversation, which was, what do you want to get out of this experience? Oh, okay. You're really passionate about, you know, the, the example that always comes to mind when I think about somebody who, you know, took the role and was able to take the role and make it beneficial for themselves and also beneficial for the class is we had a chief wellness officer, Dylan. And uh, she's one of those people that does like a million and one things. And you always question like, how is she actually doing all of these different things? Um, but she's really very passionate. She's a flywheel instructor in, instructor in addition to being a student and, and kind of she was a, a Barry's instructor. She does all this different stuff. Um, but she, you know, wanted to try and see how she could convince this HBS community to be more healthy. So we were able to give her this seat which allowed her to practice some of these things, which were very much linked to her career and her life aspirations. And all the while doing it, it was also beneficial for the HBS students. So that's kind of like the example of what we try and do. And Dylan is somebody who I got very close with in this process and was able to build a strong relationship with. Why? Because my interactions with her were oftentimes talking about wellness and fitness and nutrition and things that are super, super, super important to her. And not to say that they're, I mean, they're important to me as well, but like on a, on a very micro level in terms of what they, they mean to her, but I, that still was kind of the basis of our, you know, relationship initially. Um, and so I'd say that is a, is the approach that I took to building relationships with classmates was, you know, let me try and understand what's important to them. And let me think about if there's an intersection between what's important to them and what I'm doing and, and try and build off of that. And, and I found that that to be a really good way of, uh, of building some very strong relationships that I'm you know grateful for. And I know will last a lifetime. Yeah. Yeah. And that's great. And I think um, as a nice segue, because you started talking about it a little bit. So one of the things that you did spend a lot of time in at HBS and where you did build a lot of relationships was through um, serving as co-president of the HBS Student Association. So could you talk, you know, maybe a little bit more about, you know, what that experience was like? Yeah. Um, so I loved it. I, the, you know, I was very certain in terms of my decision to apply to HBS, the only business school that I applied to. I was very certain in my decision to run for, you know, student association co-president. Um, and I look back at both of those decisions and I'm like, these are two of the points where I've had the greatest amount of conviction in my life. And I, um, you know, was correct on both of those without any sort of hesitation in terms of, um, it was a great way to spend my time. Um, reasons that I ran, one, I talked about a little bit, but forcing me to meet students, which was important to me given I'm naturally introverted, that does not come easily. Second is I knew that I'm, I'm interested in academ academia long-term. And, and when I say interested in academia, I, I wanna be a professor one day and I'd ideally like to come back to HBS uh, and be a leadership and an organizational behavior professor. And I thought that uh, being student body co-president would give me kind of an inside window into how the school operates. 
Um, and it would also allow me to build relationships with faculty, with professors, administration, uh, that would be helpful for me to stay in touch with. Um, and the other thing is I just, I very much just love the institution. Um, and I believe in the mission in terms of educate leaders who make a difference in the world. Uh, and I believe in the impact that the HBS, uh, that people from HBS go on to have and the impact, honestly, that they're already having before they arrive at HBS. Um, and so it was just an opportunity to kind of be at the, at the, at the kind of epicenter of these conversations in terms of understanding the direction the school is heading, working with admissions, working with, you know, the dean, understanding what are the, the initiatives that are important to the school, uh, working with the MBA chair. There's so many remarkable things that I got out of uh, being student body co-president that it was without a doubt uh, the best decision that I made during my time at HBS. No, that's great. And as someone who also was in student government and business school, I also echo that in terms of it being a very rewarding experience and something that I certainly still think about in terms of some of the lessons that I learned, you know, from going through that and how applicable they can sometimes be uh, in terms of the skills I gained from them and, and applying them to the uh, to the workplace. And so I guess um, we'd love to know from you as we kind of think about that, um, you know, what was your experience like in terms of leading, right? In terms of the sense of, in some cases, you know, as a co-president, you're leading people, but, you know, it's it's not necessarily maybe the same as in the workplace where, you know, when you're leading people, maybe they report into you or, you know, they're, you're managing them or something like that. Yeah, it, it is very different. And I think that the huge, the biggest difference in terms of leadership in this way, in the workplace, people are in part motivated by, uh, and in large part motivated by salary um, and compensation, particularly uh, I've always worked in businesses that are professional services and bonus based. So people are kind of motivated. There's a, there's a compensation lever to motivate people. Uh, we obviously in student government, you're not paid. Um, and so there, you don't have that lever of compensation in terms of motivating people. And so you really need to find a way to intrinsically motivate people. And that was one of the, the, biggest lessons that I learned about leadership from this whole experience was the importance and the value up front of really listening and understanding to what a person is hoping to get out of the experience. Because then if you can deliver activities and structure something for them that allows them to get what they want out of it, it then becomes, uh, that is their form of compensation. That is the currency that you can give them as a platform to be able to accomplish what they want to be able to accomplish. So I'd say that was part of it. Um, the other kind of goal that I had in the whole experience was I really wanted to kind of improve my own leadership skills. And I do think that uh, through this experience, I was able to hone in on things like the importance of building a, a great team. And I think that started with, you know, being fortunate to have an ideal uh, co-president in that the areas where I was strong, she, you know, the areas where I was weak, she was really strong. And I think there are some areas where I was strong that were areas where she was looking to develop. And I think that when you put those two things together, um, we were really able to kind of 
push each other. Um, and actually she's, you know, I just had like a, like a two, three hour conversation with her uh, yesterday and we still keep in touch. Um, and, uh, you know, I, we're going to be friends for a lifetime. And so I'd say the other goal was I got all of the people that I wanted to, that were joining student government, I wanted to make sure that they left uh, with a positive feeling about this was a good use of my time. And, you know, I'm excited to stay in touch with Tristan. That was my, you know, that was certainly my goal. Um, there are about seven, there are 70 people on our student government team. Is that, you know, 100% the case with all 70? Of course not. Um, but I can say that there's a handful of people amongst that that our lifelong friends as a result of the student government experience feel like they got a tremendous amount from the time that they invested in it. And, uh, you know, both of us are really glad, like both sides being really glad with the way that we spent the time. Yeah, that's great. And, um, and I think it also goes back to, again, you know, in terms of developing those relationships, you know, I think that being able to work on something with other people, um, to like what you were saying, um, you know, something that they're passionate about, but ideally that you're both kind of passionate about or aligned around. I think those are, um, those are really powerful ways to get, not only get to get to know people, but to build strong relationships, but also obviously to do cool and interesting and, and engaging things. Um, so I think that, I think that's, that's fantastic. And, you know, I graduated now five years ago and I can tell you in this week alone, I've been on text, text message exchanges from three of the people that I was in student government with. Um, and you know, even after five years, like we, we talk regularly, one of them is actually my coworkers. Um, but like the other ones still, like we still stay in touch. And so, um, and that's something I'm, I'm certainly forever grateful for. Um, we'd love to talk a little bit more because you kind of, you know, think about more some, you know, not so much as much about your HBS experience, but just kind of where you are now. Um, and you talked, you mentioned a little bit this earlier, this you know, vision of maybe potentially, um, coming back to HBS one day, but, um, as you think about your career now that you're in a, a business school graduate, um, you know, where do you hope to be in maybe 10 or 15 years from now? You know, what, what does that look like for, for you? Yeah. So I'd say the big themes is it's going to be doing something around, uh, coaching, something around talent development, something around, um, uh, professional development, mentorship. Those are the topics and the themes that are really important to me and the way that I look about the way that I look at my life these days is everybody has 168 hours in a week and how do you maximize the percentage of hours that you spend doing activities that you enjoy doing. And for me, those activities are coaching, public speaking, um, uh, meeting people, although still not in the impromptu sense, meaning I don't like to go to a conference and just walk up to people, but I do like to, you know, if it's a one-on-one -on -one conversation, I, I, I love meeting people in that, in that sense. Um, so I'd say that 10 to 15 years from now, that's kind of my the big themes that I want in terms of how I'm spending my time, you know, whether I'm still in consulting at BCG at that point, that's certainly a possibility, especially if I end up being able to create a portfolio of work that allows me to focus on coaching and leadership development at BCG. And we do have practice areas that, that focus on that. So that's certainly a possibility or, you know, maybe it's you know not with BCG, but it, it's certainly going to be uh, something related to coaching and talent development, um, and then uh, working my way towards that goal of being a, a business school faculty member, or a professor of some sort. Um, you know, 
I would love to do that at HBS at some point. If, it, if we're talking 10 to 15 years, uh, maybe that's still here in Singapore. I'm flexible on cities, but I absolutely love the quality of life here in Singapore. So if all goes according to my plan in 10 to 15 years, I'll still be here in Singapore. Um, but uh, that's kind of where I, where I see myself at that point. I will have wanted to, to, to start a family and so forth. Um, and, and so I guess in a nutshell, I see myself in 10 to 15 years having uh, a balanced life uh, where I'm happy professionally as defined by doing work related to coaching, talent development, people management. And then I'm also, uh, I'm also satisfied with everything on the personal side, uh, family, you know, so forth. And, um, and yeah, just in, enjoying life, but also having a positive impact while doing that. Yeah. Professor Francis has a nice, has a nice ring to it. So, uh, <laughs> I think that, I think that will work out just great. Um, I, I want to delve in a little further on one of the, um, on that question too, we'd love to know, you know, what does success mean to you? You know, what does success mean to, to, to Tristan Francis? Yeah. Um, so I would say one of the pillars of success for me is that every community or group that you're a part of, uh, is, is better as a result of your presence in that group. And that goes down to the friend level to an institutional level. So at the friend level, like the people who I'm spending time with, the people who would consider me a part of their friend circle, like is their life better as a result of my presence in, in their life? Um, and then on top of that, when you scale that to an institutional level, is BCG better off as a result of me working for this company? Is Morgan Stanley better off as a result of me working for this company? Um, and I'd say that that for me is like foundational, like, you know, I need to be able to do that in order to, to feel like I'm being successful. And then I'd say the other piece of success is because I think it needs to be if it's one sided success, meaning if everybody and every institution is better as a result of you being there, but you are not better as a result of it, then I think that that's going to get draining with time. And so I think that an element of success is also sustainability. Um, and so the flip side of that is, am I feeling enriched? Am I happy about how I'm spending my time going back to that, uh, metric of, you know, what is the percentage of hours of the day that I spend doing activities that I like and, and maximizing that percentage. And it never gets to a hundred percent, obviously, but I do think you can get, uh, you can get pretty close. And I do think that, uh, with each, you know, two to three year window that has passed, I, I've moved in a direction where that percentage is getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Um, so success means getting that number, you know, uh, let's say above, I'm throwing a number out there, but getting that number above 90%, meaning like 90% of the, 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 the way that I spend my time, I'm really happy with how I spend it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think, I think those are, those are great measures. And I think one of the reasons why um, I've enjoyed getting to know you so much as I think we share some of the same kinds of values and ideas. And one of the things that you said that kind of made me think a little bit was just about, you know, making sure that the places you were, you worked or were aligned with were better as a result of, uh, as a result of the impact that you made. And, you know, one of the things that I always think about, because I too, I'm very, I take a lot of pride in the places that I've been to be able to be a part of, whether that's my high school, my college, my MBA program, uh, where I've worked and, um, one of the things about that pride that I think about is that um, that is something that I carry with me and being able to 
to take that experience and to use it in a positive way, right? And to take, you know, um, we'll take what I got from my MBA at UNC and to, to use it in a positive way for others or to take what I got for my college degree to use it in a positive way for others. And if I do that, then, um, you know, I think that the people I worked with or the people I was associated with, they'll, they'll be proud of me or they'll appreciate me and, and being able to be affiliated with that. And so, um, I think that's, um, thinking about how do you make this place better is something I always have thought about too, that, that, and that, that was something that really spoke to me when you had mentioned to that, um, because you are an MBA graduate, um, I would love to kind of, you know, at this point, right. So we'd love to get your thoughts on, you know, what advice do you have? Um, you know, I guess maybe let's, let's start with current MBA students, especially those who are about to graduate, you know, like it's a challenging world right now, um, uh, for a lot of reasons, but, you know, particularly for those who are about to graduate, you know, what kind of, you know, given everything that's going on right now, given the fact that it is, you know, kind of a, um, a joyous time when you do graduate, but also some challenges that exist out there, like what kind of advice do you have? Yeah, so I'd, I'd say that the advice I'd have for the current uh, class of 2020 would be take the long view. I think it's really easy to right now look at everything that's happening with COVID and say, this is so awful that this happened during my second year of the MBA program, you know, and to get really down and pessimistic about everything that it means. But I very genuinely believe um, that there are a whole lot of silver linings and a whole lot of positives that people haven't fully wrapped their head around that only people that are willing to look at this through a lens of optimism are going to be able to take advantage of. But the people who do look at it through a lens of optimism, I think are going to end up being better off as a result of it. Um, and so what I would encourage people to do is take a step back and think about the 40 year scope and try and understand how this moment in time, uh, force yourself to frame it in a positive way and then after you've framed it in a positive way, distill it into tangible action items that will allow you to reap the benefits of that positive viewpoint that you've put. Uh, because I do think that there's a lot of silver linings out there. There's a lot of benefits. Um, you know, one example being I've talked to, to a lot of MBA 2020 uh, students who this period has allowed them to uh, actually take the time to develop a, a business or develop a idea that they would not have done otherwise if they were out and about like that's a good example of the positive framing that you can put on it um and i think that the people who take the long view put a positive frame on it and then act on that i think will actually end up uh equal if not better as a result of this whole of this whole thing so that that would be my advice to the, the current mbas yeah. Um, I always like to say the flip side of challenge is opportunity. So I think it's always important to keep that perspective. Um, how about for future MBA students or in, I would say like the incoming class, you know, what kind of advice do you have for them? Yeah. In terms of the future MBAs, my big piece of advice would be coming with a game plan. So I think that the more thought process you put into what you want to do during the two years of the MBA program, the more you're going to get out of the experience. So in my case, even before I applied to HBS, I knew that I was interested in running for student body co-president. I knew that I wanted to be the education rep for my section. I knew that I wanted to go into management consulting and I knew that BCG was my top choice. I knew um, that I wanted to get a lot of international experience and both kind of uh, with trips and treks, but then also to the extent possible with work. 
Um, and I think that in a very major way, I was able to be four for four in that regard. And it's not luck. I, I think that luck is always, you know, I think it, luck always plays a factor in things, but part of it is just, there was a lot of thoughtful prep that went into it. And I think that when you come in with a clear prioritization, which means not only these are the four things that I'm going to spend my time trying to accomplish, but also what are the things that you're going to sacrifice in order to accomplish the things that are important to you? Because that, that to me is what prioritization is. I think everybody oftentimes thinks of prioritization as these are the three things that are important to me. But the level underneath that, the in order to accomplish these three things, these are the three things that I'm not going to spend time on. That is a really helpful exercise. To the extent that you can do that before your MBA program starts, you're going to give yourself such a huge benefit because everybody will feel overwhelmed when you arrive on campus at first. There's just so much going on, so many opportunities, so many people to meet. You're going to feel overwhelmed. That's natural. Um, trying to figure all of these things out amidst that feeling of being overwhelmed is really difficult. So the advice that I have to the incoming MBA students is figure out as much of this as possible before you step foot on campus so that when you actually do step foot on campus, uh, you can just kind of press play and then obviously adjust the strategy here and there, but you have things in motion that you know you're excited about and you can feel good about how you're spending your time. So that would be my big piece of advice for um, those who are gearing up for the MBA program. Yeah, I think that's, I think that's great advice. And I guess maybe last question for you, and you alluded to it earlier, but um, you invest a lot of time in terms of coaching and mentoring uh, others, you know, particularly um, folks who are a little bit more junior in their careers. Um, could you share a little bit more about what you're doing as well as, you know, if people want to learn more where they can, you know, find more information about what you do? Yeah, absolutely. So I am, have always been a big consumer and believer in mentorship. And I you know, would not have, have the opportunities I have in my life, especially if I think back to my upbringing, first generation college student growing up in Jamaica, Queens, humble upbringing. I, I, the amount of stuff that I have access to now is I kind of even, you know, I'm thinking about where I am in Singapore, where I'm living, what I'm doing. It's incredible. And, and a big part of that is the result of just tremendous mentors and, and people that I've had in my life that have helped me kind of open doors and, and strategize and, and really become the best version of myself possible. Um, so this is something I believe in now and I'll believe it for a lifetime. But I do invest a lot of time coaching, mentoring, and I think that it's important to give back. Um, I do feel a sense of responsibility, but on top of that, I also genuinely enjoy it. And then on top of that, again, I also think that um, coaching and mentoring is helpful for the person that you are coaching and mentoring. And also, I think if done well, it's helpful for yourself also. So I think that there's a tremendous amount of reflection that comes when, when you're coaching somebody and when you're mentoring them because they will ask you questions. Um, that you might not have thought about before. And so you can really flush out what your thinking is around certain topics. Even if you think about this podcast as an example, the questions that you're asking really force me to think about this stuff in, in a way that then makes me a more thoughtful person, uh, which then makes me a better leader and it makes me a better communicator. So the more mentoring, the more coaching that you do, the more clarity you're going to have in terms of what's 
important for you personal, the better communicator you're going to be, ultimately the better leader you're going to be. Um, and so I invest a lot of time into it. Uh, at this point, um, when I was in New York, I used to host these events for college students and young professionals. Now I'm doing it here in Singapore with a lot of the colleges and universities here. Um, in addition to that, I also host a lot of uh, webinars. And so I have a website. It's just tristanfrancis.com. Um, and on that, I always list the upcoming events that I have. There tends to be a cluster of events around people who are interested in HBS or people who are interested in BCG, but every now and then I host um, other topics as well. So you can either go to that website, click upcoming events, and then register for the events there. Or there's also on the landing page, there's a way of punching in your email address. And then I, I can, whenever there's a new event, I can just send the message with the uh, event details and you can register if you're interested. So um, that's the best way to find out about the, um, the coaching efforts. Um, I also uh, do some coaching here and there. And, and some of that is listed on my website as well. Um, and then I'm a part of a cohort of people uh, called Ivy Grad Services that does uh, MBA admissions consulting specifically. And, and we also do, uh, uh, not me personally, but a part of the broader team also does law school uh, admissions consulting as, uh, as well. So uh, that's certainly ways to kind of engage in the coaching front as well. But I'm, yeah, coaching is something, it's, it's coaching and mentoring are two things that are just ingrained in who I am uh, today and, and for the rest of my life. I love it. Um, and it, it's very much associated with the type of impact that I want to be able to have. Great. Well, Tristan, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you for sharing a little bit more about your HBS experience as well as what you're up to now. I uh, really appreciate you uh, sharing your story. Thank you. No, I appreciate you having me. This has been great. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.